Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. And today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors. 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Jared Palo with SB Nation, writer for thegoodfight.com. Coming up next. And our play-by-play call of the day. All right, let me set this up for you. Last night, Daniel Ponce de Leon had a no-hitter through seven innings last night. Now, it's a remarkable story that Daniel, uh, Danny, 14 months ago, got hit by a line drive, and he actually needed brain surgery. So he wears actually a cap underneath his hat to protect him. So he has a no-hitter through seven. Then Jordan Hicks comes in, gave up a hit in the eighth, but then in the ninth they went to the closer, and he, the Reds end up winning it. Here's the call on Marty Brenneman on WLW. Right-handed batter with the bases loaded and two out. And Herrera swings and lines one into center. It's a base hit. And this one belongs to the Reds. They are chasing Dilson Herrera down. They finally grab him on the infield grass behind the mound. He wasted no time at all drilling the first pitch thrown by Bud Norris on a clean line drive single to right to center field. Winker scores and unbelievably... In the bottom of the ninth inning, the Reds have rallied to tie it on a home run by Eugenio Suarez and win it on a bases-loaded single by pinch hitter Dilson Herrera. The final score, Reds 2, Cardinals 1. Well, Daniel Ponce de Leon became the sixth pitcher since 1965 to take a no-hitter into the seventh inning into the first start of his career. What makes it interesting is that two of the six pitchers, Nick Kingham and Daniel Ponce de Leon, are former State College Spikes. How about that? Ponce de Leon was the uh, starter and winner in the clincher for the Spikes New York Penn League Championship uh, team back in uh, 2014. All right. Very pleased to bring in Jared Palo with SB Nation for thegoodfight.com. Jared, welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. So let's get to uh, the Phillies. I want to start with Reese Hoskins because <laughs> Hoskins, of course, was terrific last year, got off to a good start this year, then he slumped, and then he fouled that ball in a real fluke off his jaw. Why has he been so good since he's come back from that? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. No, it's, it's, it's he's been remarkable. Um, you know, he obviously, like you said, went through that slump. Uh, 
um, fouled the ball off his jaw, just in an absolute freak accident, and then came back and he's been tearing it up. I don't, you know, some, sometimes you know when a, when a player gets some time off and and just can you know regather that uh, beginning of the season mentality, um, it, it could it could work wonders. Uh, I think personally, just from watching him and watching his approach, um, he's always had a very good eye at the plate. Uh, you know, you could tell with his with his walk numbers and just how he works counts. Um, I think he just he's just refined that approach. I think back to how it's always been coming up through the minors, uh, first you know few months in the big leagues last season, beginning of this season, and uh, yeah, it's just and then plus you know obviously within the home run derby. Uh, and it's it's funny because prior to the home run derby, he hadn't homered in since the end of June, and then uh, went to the home run derby, hit however many he hit, forty home runs in two rounds, and then uh, yeah, now he's homered in three straight. So he's he's looking he's looking fantastic. That's for sure. It doesn't hurt any franchise whether it happens to be the Red Sox with Chris Sale or the Dodgers with a Clayton Kershaw, to have an absolute number one and an ace. Is Aaron Nola become that guy where, I mean, on the Phillies he is, but I'm talking about a national basis. I consider him to be a legit number one for any team in this league right now. Is that a fair statement? I think that's absolutely a fair statement. I mean, the guy has, ever since coming up, uh, through the minor leagues, drafted out of LSU. Um, ever since he's, you know, made his way to Philadelphia, I think he has improved more than most pitchers I've seen improve in the same span, time span. I mean, you figure he he came up um, two straight seasons. You know, last season injured uh, fairly early on in the season. Injured uh, season before that injured. And, you know, to battle back from those injuries as such a young player and a young pitcher in the major leagues, uh, only, you know, a few seasons out of, only a few seasons um, past being drafted, and to turn into this, you know, ace, basically, yeah, like you said, he's, he's absolutely an ace in my eyes on the national level. Um, and I think the Phillies are starting to, you know, kind of notice that. You know, you get to kind of tell their social media's, have been kind of promoting him a lot more. Obviously, you know, with the All Star game and everything, um, he was the Phillies' lone All Star, aside from Reese in the home run derby. But I think, yeah, starting next season, he'll probably you know be in that national discussion with the best in the game, and I absolutely think it's a fair statement. The opening week of the season, it was a rocky start for Gabe Kapler as the manager. And I made the statement on the show. I said, look, I'm going to reserve judgment until about June 30th and kind of give a body of work. They're obviously in first place by a half game. As you've observed them on an everyday basis, Jared, have you seen Kapler make adjustments in his managerial style based on what, what you're seeing every day? I think I, think I have. Um, beginning of the season, like you said, it was a rocky start. Um, and... It's, I think it was unfair to for a lot of, of fans and just 
you know, a lot of media in general, to be honest with you. And it, it was it was a very unfair, I think, to just go go at his neck like that so early. Um, you know, you you kind of don't understand the daily managerial duties, I think, of an MLB manager um, until you're I, I think your date is fairly accurate, you know, about halfway through the season. Um, and I think Kapler, beginning of the season, you know, you could obviously tell with the mistake, uh, with the miscommunication, sorry, with uh, Hobie Milner coming out of the bullpen, having not warmed up, um, you know, taking Aaron Nola out early in his first start in the opening game of the season. And then eventually the Phillies ended up losing that game after taking up. I believe it was a five nothing lead, um, but yeah, I think I think Kapler has grown, you know, from eighty percent analytical decisions and twenty percent reactionary decisions to more of a, a happy medium at this point in the season. And personally, uh, Rob Thompson, who's the Phillies bench coach, and he's been with the Yankees for the last however many years, I think he's probably played a good role in, in helping Kapler get through it because, you know, Thompson was with some of the best Yankees managers. You know, he was he was he's been there for decades. Uh and, you know, he came to Philadelphia this past off season to be Gabe Kapler's bench coach and I think that speaks wonders as to, you know, the kind of coach and manager and just overall person that Kapler is. So I definitely think he's, you know, taken more of a personal role uh as a manager and not just kind of like a numbers guy. Obviously, in the end, Manny Machado went to the Dodgers. That's not a surprise. It just seemed like the Dodgers were in the lead for him for about a month. But the Phillies, to their credit, did put together a, a couple of packages. They still like what the Dodgers had to offer. But I give the Phillies credit for making a run at it. With a week to go, should the Phillies stand pat, or is there something they should do even subtly to change the, the makeup of the club? Um, you know, I, I was... Machado was a uh, was always just kind of a long shot for the Phillies for me. Even when those even when those reports were coming out um, a week before he he was eventually traded to the Dodgers, that um, yeah, I, I just I, I just wasn't taking it for face value. I was kind of like, okay, the Phillies are going to stand pat if they're not going to include Sixto Sanchez in the deal, which I think they're smart for doing. I, I wouldn't deal with either. Um, Pretty much every other bidder in that, the Dodgers being the main one, obviously, uh, every other bidder could have out, you know, done a deal uh, for Machado if the Phillies hadn't included and included Sixo Sanchez. So um, going forward, though, after losing out on Machado, I, I think it's tough to say because I don't think anyone's really, you know, tricking themselves into thinking that this current Phillies team is a surefire, you know, World Series contender, I think they absolutely can win the division. They, I think they could probably have a very nice series, excuse me, a very nice divisional series, possibly get to the NLCS, but the top of the NL with the Dodgers and uh, the the Cubs, and, you know, I got the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, all these teams, um, plus with the Nationals bound to catch fire at some point, the Braves. Um, I just... I would. I don't think I'd jump the gun too hard if the asking price is too high. Maybe I think the only things that I might do is, you know, 
potentially shore up the bullpen, um, maybe a fifth starter. Uh, if, you know, we've seen Cole Hamels get tossed around as you know his potential return in a trade. But I'm not sure if I would uh, personally go out and do much um, at this point. With that said, Jared, as you watch this club, what elements of this club make you very comfortable when you watch them, and is there an element that makes you uncomfortable as you watch them? Um, two things come to mind. They can be extremely comfortable. The way that they work counts and just the quality of at-bats that you know most hitters on the team have. Um, obviously, you know, Cesar Hernandez, Reese Hoskins, Odubel Herrera, Carlos Santana, that's an incredible top four in your lineup. Um, and all four of them could take pitches and work, you know, count. And if, if you get all four of them uh, up to bat in the first inning, you know, your, your starting pitcher's probably in the mid-20s in pitches, and then you still have the rest of the lineup to face. Um, you know, Michael Franco, he's gotten a lot better at it. And, um, you know, when J.P. Crawford returns off the DL, he's always been praised for his, uh, his approach at the plate. So, you know, that comes to mind first. And then the other thing for that makes me extremely comfortable is watching their starters. Um, obviously, you know, we talked about Nola. Um, Vince Velasquez has quietly turned in an amazing, amazing second half of the season so far. And, um, you know, Zach Eflin, up until that Dodger start, had been tremendous this year. Jake Arrieta, you know, the underlying numbers, you know, his velocity and his, his, his uh, you know, his ground ball rate and whatnot. Those are, you know, it's, it seems like he, he's probably going to be on the decline here soon in the next couple of seasons. Um, but I think, you know, just his presence has been great to have in the locker room. Uh, Nick Pavetta, he's struggled lately, obviously, but, you know, we saw the, the potential at the beginning of the season. As for uncomfortable, um, the hitting, the offense being inconsistent probably comes to mind. Uh, the bullpen, obviously, even though it's been great in July, I think it's a top five bullpen in terms of ERA in July. Uh, just the consistency of the arms back there um, comes to mind. But there's not really anything huge. The defense, that's definitely a, a, a talking point at this point in the season. That's definitely going to have to improve. But I don't personally see any glaring, glaring holes on the on the team. And, I, and I think with a few improvements in the offseason and the next season, they're, they're going to be right there. Uh, do they have the advantage that they're in the National League and not the American League? In other words, is uh, being in the NBA East, the road to get to the finals is absolutely there. <laughs> being in the Big Ten West in football, <laughs> the road to get into the championship game is there. How much yeah. of the Phillies help the fact that they're in the National League and not in the American League this year? I think this year it helps. Um, going, you know, because you know the Red Sox, Yankees, Astros are head and shoulders above everyone, uh, in my opinion, at least. I think those three teams are probably the three favorites. But uh, going forward, I'm not sure. I think I think the two, I think the two um, leagues are fairly matched going beyond this season because you know the Braves and the Phillies are going to be the class of the NL East probably for the next good half decade at least because both yes. teams have great young talent um the cubs they're not going to be going anywhere for a while uh you know you, you got teams in the nl west dodgers obviously and i think i, I honestly I, I don't think there's really a weak 
league going forward. I think the Phillies are pretty content in the National League. This season, yeah, definitely they have a better shot at making a run in the postseason if they make it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's I think it's fairly um, balanced in terms of the national, American League and National League. Jared, an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much uh, for the information, and it was really great talking with you. Hey, absolutely, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. Jared Powell joining us from SB Nation with the goodfight.com. And fight, by the way, is with a PH. We'll come back with more in a moment. Next half hour, Neil Kulong on the Steelers and Le'Veon Bell as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Brought to you by good friends at Sunbury Motors. Four city blocks of new Ford trucks. Over 40,000 trucks sold. SMC is where you want to be. Sunbury Motors Ford has over 110 new Ford trucks. And during July, they'll include a complimentary accessory package. With the purchase of any new F-150 through July 31st, receive a tonneau cover, molded splash guards, and window deflectors at no additional charge. SMC is where you want to be because they have the largest selection of new Ford trucks in all of central Pennsylvania. And that means the biggest savings. Take up to 13000 $500 off on new F-150s and SMC has them starting as low as $26,669. Save up to seven grand on 2018 Ford Escapes and they're slashed as low as $19,380. 2018 Explorers, Edges and Expeditions will also be clearly marked with discounts up to eight grand. SMC is where you want to be in July for this mega summer spectacular sale and the complimentary F-150 accessory package. Sunbury Motors in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury. F-150 accessory package valued at $699. Excludes fire sales and older units. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Always great to be with you. Great audience, knowledgeable audience, great co-host, great radio station. Great to be with all of you today. Great sponsors, including Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Key, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Uh, Big news being made in Chicago. Now, it's it's over with now. I mean, it's the lunch that took place. Everybody's on their way back. But in the last two days of the Big Ten, and I said last week, excuse me, two weeks ago, I said in the show, not last week, obviously, that, you know, sometimes news is made at these Press gatherings. A lot of times, no, but sometimes, yes. You know, last year, for example, at, at basketball at Madison Square Garden, that's where Jim Delaney announced that the Big Ten in 1819 was going to a 20 game conference season. News. Well, this year, the news has been interesting out of this gathering. James Franklin made some himself. He was the one guy that got up and the one guy that got up and talked about uniformity and schedules among the Power Five conferences when it comes to the college football playoff. And he's absolutely right about that. There is no doubt in my mind. You know, either everybody's eight or everybody's nine. I think the trend, obviously, is toward nine because that puts another legit FBS game on everyone's schedule in the ACC and in the SEC. And I believe Nick Saban's in favor of nine. So James Franklin was absolutely right about that. Obviously, the new red shirt rule being discussed 
which I think is a fabulous rule. And you know, it's interesting. The this rule is going to be on a case by case basis. There's not going to be well, we're just going to play them all in the first three games and see who can play. And no, that's look. You still have to handle your roster and your players, where the player puts puts themselves in their own clock to playing. No matter how hard you may push, they still do. So you may have somebody who's ready to play in game six. Now you can play them. They haven't played in any games, but now in game six they're ready to play. They're ready to help. You can do that. And you got four games to play around with, including the bowl game. So that was discussed. But also discussed at Big Ten Media Day was injury reports with the new gambling sports uh, gambling laws that are available to every state. So far, New Jersey and Delaware have already enacted sports betting. In fact, the Meadowlands Casino took in, in a nine-day span in one of the deadest times of the year, $3.5 million in nine days in sportsbook. So that was discussed. But injury reports were discussed. Slippery slope there as to how you do it. When you do it, how you do it, how you list them. And then the Comcast situation with BTN. Now, one of these things are items that we have not talked about in the last four months, but they all came together in 24 hours in Chicago to talk about again. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Uh, the BTN Comcast issue is a big issue. The injury report issue is a big issue. The number of games being played by conferences, big issue. All that has come up. In the last couple of days at the uh, Big Ten Media Day. And we'll talk more about it in just a few moments. But after a couple of months in Bermuda, taking time off from this show, he is back with us. Uh, I mean, because the NFL's become like a 10 month cycle, it seems, if not more, is Neil Kulong from USA Today. Neil, welcome back. <laughs> just, just 10 months, huh? I thought it was more like 13 or 14 <laughs> seasons stack on top of themselves. Now that, that's uh, that's the NFL's next get. What what can they do to to run kind of a, a, a biannual season to go along with what they normally have? Right. Yeah, I know. Uh, what about the the details of the Todd Gurley deal? Are just starting to get out that Gurley is signed to stay with the uh, Los Angeles Rams, and it looks like it's going to be. A four-year extension worth sixty million with forty-five million guaranteed. What does this do for the Le'Veon Bell negotiations now that that bar has been set? It just on its face, just on the details of what we've seen, which I, I think that the real important thing to, to focus on is the fact they're referring to it as an extension. Um, with that, that doesn't suggest they threw out the remaining time on his contract, but rather would tack it on to the end of it. 
Um, I, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to be structured, but if you look at it just on its face with what's been reported, the $45 million guarantee is, is kind of the one thing uh, that you would take um, the most, uh, you know, kind of appreciated look at. Um, I think for a running back, $45 million certainly is, is uh, pretty high, and I think Bell probably wanted somewhere in that. But uh, really, if you were to have asked me um, three months ago, who would you give $45 million guaranteed to, Le'Veon Bell or Todd Gurley? I'd, I'd say Gurley for sure, simply because Gurley uh, doesn't have the miles that Bell has currently. Bell's an older player. He's been in the league a little bit longer. Um, Gurley didn't play as much in college as Bell did either, and um, he's not facing suspension as far as we know. Um, Bell is one missed test and one failed test away from what could be a year-long suspension. It's a lot harder to guarantee money to a player um, in, in that type of situation. So for Bell to think that he was going to get more than Gurley was guaranteed, I, I think is probably a bit misstated. But uh, at the same time, I'm not overall really surprised with the kind of deal uh, the Rams structured for Gurley. It really is kind of a step forward. Um, incidentally, considering Bell was the guy who kind of said that he wanted to be the one to, to set the market for running backs, I think the amount of guaranteed money and, and how high a proportion um, of guaranteed money that is for Gurley's contract, as it's been reported, that really is kind of unprecedented. We haven't seen anything quite like that. So Gurley ends up being the one who really does set the market, while Bell is going to play the year on the franchise tag. Right. There's no question I think he's going to play under the franchise tag. For Gurley, he had two years remaining on his rookie contract. And so that those two get thrown out. He gets $15 million a, a, a year for the next three years. And then the, the other one, he has to make the team to get to get the final $15 million. Uh, for as far as I'm concerned, this doesn't help Bell at all, who's three years older. I don't think. I, in fact, I you know people are wow. See that sets the market now. Bell can get more money. I think it's 180. I think they're going to look around and say, hey, you got more tread uh, off the tires. There's a problem for you. Yeah, if you're saying that those are the details, that that is pretty standard for the NFL in terms of. Um, giving him essentially a three-year deal, uh, the back end of, of pretty much any contract is going to be you need to make the team to make the money. And, and right. we were just talking about this off-air. Uh, Adrian Peterson's contract, in my opinion, really kind of screwed the market up in the sense that um, they, they jacked on a bunch of stuff at the end of it for the sake of getting it to that $100 million mark because he wanted to be the first $100 million running back and you know so on and so forth. Um, what ended up happening just due to a kind of a, a, a bunch of fluke situations in Minnesota uh, he did play into those years. So with that, he did make that money. I don't think anybody thought that he was, except for himself, of course, thought that he was worth that much money. But right. the Vikings weren't spending anything. They didn't have it, and they had no other answer at running back. So the, the value to them, uh, in a dollar sense, kind of goes down a little bit. That's why he made the amount of money that he did toward the end of, of uh, his monster contract. It wasn't expected that he was going to make that much. Um, that said, I'll say the same thing with Gurley. That year, really, more than anything else, means it, it's time for renegotiation. That, that's a big cap number, but it's not guaranteed. So both sides have uh, some you know, it, it initiative to, to get contract talks going. And especially at that position, that's probably about the time that you could reasonably expect them to, to want to, you know, kind of take a look at the situation again and see where they are. They can cut him guilt free at that point after they've given him a bunch of money. I, that that's really kind of the structure of contract we're seeing in the NFL nowadays. Let's stop messing around with the five year thing. We, the salary cap is large enough that we don't have to, to spread a bunch of money over a, a five year deal. We'll guarantee it to you up front, but we want the contracts to be shorter. I, to me, that, that really seems to be kind of what the, the Gurley deal looks like right now, um, depending on how they're allocating that money uh, through signing bonus, roster bonus, whatever. Um, it, it seems like it, it's very fitting uh, for both sides. I mean, really, it, it, you know, um, 
the team gives up its right of franchise tagging him, and Gurley gives up his right to hit free agency early. So I think both yeah. sides gave something, and that's probably the right contract for a player his stature. Right. This is the equivalent of what baseball does with guys to avoid arbitration. They give them a five, six-year contract, they avoid arbitration, and they stay out of that. This contract also, if, I, if my math is correct, would take them right to would take Gurley right to the end of the current collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, that, that's an interesting angle. I hadn't really thought of, but yeah, it looks like he he might be one of those guys that gets caught kind of in limbo um, with whatever it is that they're going to do. And certainly, there are a, a slew of things to go over, not just um, allocation of salary cap, um, you know, per team and, and the overall pool, how that's defined. Uh, it probably more than anything, they've got conduct issues, um, you know, off the field matters. Those types of things are, are what the union would really want to go after. But obviously, the, the dollars are going to be the main topic of conversation uh, within any collective bargaining um, negotiation, which is what's coming down the line. And um, that one's going to be messy. You know, Gurley, mm-hmm. at the very least, his perspective and his agent probably said exactly this: um, "We got you the money before we don't know where the money's going to come from." Right. So, it, to, to me, it, it's a, a very smart deal on his part, oh. and I, I would point out as well, I, I think that it is probably less than what the Steelers, in an overall dollars uh, perspective, I think it's probably less than what the Steelers would have offered Bell, but Gurley's going to get it up front. I think it's, I, yeah. That's really kind of the trend of the contracts in the NFL today. I think it's intelligently front-loaded. I mean, I, I, on his part, it's intelligently front-loaded, and then you, at the end of the contract is the new collective bargaining agreement, and you and I, none of us know exactly what the new numbers are going to be when they... Uh, put the TV contracts in in uh, in conjunction with the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, the Steelers going in. What will be of interest to you in the first couple of weeks, uh, position battle wise, and and who is really on the line here for them? I think more than anything, and this is going to be the easiest answer. It's really about James Conner, Stephen Ridley. Um, you know, backup running backs getting some look now without obviously uh, Bell in camp, assuming he's not going to show up, which which he won't. Um, they're not only important now like they were last season, whoever it was, whatever group they had last season. Uh, these guys are important now for next year. You know, I think it's it's pretty much a, a foregone conclusion out, outside of, you know, uh, the due diligence that Kevin Colbert will put into to seeing if Bell – you know, might be uh, you know, willing to take a, a contract with the team, assuming they're interested. Uh, he's not going to be on the team next year. So you, you've got to start looking now uh, to see what you have in terms of Bell not being there. And it's the same situation as last year. But now, you know, if, if Le'Veon Bell is doing anything, he's giving James Conner a shot to be a, a consistent um, everyday running back in the NFL. He's going to get a lot of work. He's going to get a lot of looks. And, you know, to, to hope, you know, in hope for him, get better as a player. He has that opportunity now. He's going to get probably the bulk of the reps, I would imagine, um, going into camp. Uh, to me, Connor and, and his development um, after injury last year, uh, you know, not a whole lot of play last year, not incredibly impressive, but okay. Um, how far he's come, uh, what they're having him do, that kind of stuff to me is really going to be on the forefront. And I, I think just as a, you know, a spectator, uh, Mason Rudolph getting a sense of, of what yeah. he can do. I wouldn't call this a position battle. No. Um, I don't think they're going to keep four quarterbacks either. I think Dobbs is pretty much gone. But uh, with that, I, I think uh, you know, those are kind of the guys to watch right now, the ones that are on my mind. Uh, what about Washington wide receiver? Where do you think he fits in with this? Um, it, probably very similar to what we saw of uh, Juju Smith-Schuster last year. You know, the Steelers have um, – they've got a real racket on this receiver thing. You know, they, they draft them. Um, they might sign a, a, a deep roster veteran who can contribute on teams and, and, you know, maybe get 10 targets a season or something like that. But the younger guys are the ones that they're looking to fill these middle-of-the-depth-chart roles. And I think that's where Washington – 
um, will be right away. Uh, I'll say this, and, and you, you might remember from last year, I absolutely love Juju Smith-Schuster coming out. Yes. Uh, Washington, is, Washington is, was a better college football player than Smith-Schuster was. Mm-hmm. And a large part of that is due to the fact that he got on the field a lot more. He has a lot more experience. Um, I think he's more polished right now to contribute right now. But what you saw with Smith-Schuster last year was really more the result of um, he went in the second round because he was you know, 19, 20 years old when he was drafted. You weren't really sure what you were getting. But he, you know, the, the maturation process we saw from him throughout the season, he was a 1,000% better of a player in week 16 than he was in week one. And that's not a knock on him at all. It just shows right. this kid, if, if he would have stayed in school, he would have been a top 15 pick. So I, I think what you see with Washington is maybe not quite that upside, but you see a, a really good football player. I, I think he's somebody that uh, they, they can mold the same way that they have. Um, without Martavis Bryant there, you're not really sure what they're going to do as far as their third receiver goes. There's probably a lot of people that are going to be up for that. Um, he'll certainly be in the mix. Um, I'm, I'm excited for him because I, I think he's really good. They, they know how to scout receivers very well. Uh, we've, and we've seen evidence of that for several years now. And you know, I, I think he's one of the better ones that they've taken, um, in, even in recent years, just coming out of college. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see what he can do. I, I'm not sure how much he'll get the ball simply of, you know, with how they run their offense and the, the star power that they have. But uh, he'll make an impact. I, I think he, uh, he can get out there and he can play. We're also at a time in the league where, obviously, there's so much passing. A lot of teams will play two linebackers and five DBs. Is a guy like Marcus Allen out of Penn State helped by the fact that he has the ability to play in the box? Well, I'd, I'll, I'll say this. In regards to Allen, everything I hear on him is they, they really kind of can be a core special teams guy, almost like a, a, a Robert Golden 2.0. Uh, you remember Robert Golden back in the day was sure. kind of the, the, um, one of the first like real hybrid defensive backs that leagues were looking at um, to, to drop safeties down from a nickel position to cover the slot. Golden was a guy they, they developed to do that um, over the years. I, I, I see a lot of that in Allen in the sense that he's, he's tough. He's a tough defender. He's tough up front. Um, how much coverage can he provide in, in, in short areas? I think that's kind of what they're going to look at with him. But really, the, the Steelers' safety depth chart is, is wide open. Yeah. I mean, yes, you, you have a guy uh, like a Morgan Burnett. You, you have the investment in Sean Davis. But are, are we 1,000% convinced that either of these two are going to be the guys for next year? I mean, it, it, to me, it, it's up in the air. They're trying to kind of overhaul what they're doing, which is why they focus so heavily on the position in, in free agency as well as the draft. They have a new coach that uh, hopefully brings a lot of um, you know new perspective, which is something they were dying for last season. I, I had issues with Carnell Lake for two years now. I'm not at all surprised he's not there anymore. I, I thought that um, Bradley's a, a great hire. He's the type of guy that they needed right. uh, to mold younger players into doing something that I think, uh, just a, a guess, uh, that they haven't really done in the past. I, with that, I think that gives a, a kind of a fifth-round grade to a player like Allen. But if you're looking at it um, black and white, I think kind of a core special teams guy, a, a depth and safety, that type of position that, that's been filled by Golden in the past, um, Ryan Mundy, players like that that were drafted a little bit later in the draft uh, to play teams and provide depth, not necessarily start. But a lot of packages, just like you mentioned. I mean, this team essentially is a base nickel. You know, a lot of teams right. are base nickels nowadays. They play dime. They have the personnel now to, to, to technically play dime. They're just going to drop Burnett into a linebacker position um, and, and, and try to stay fast and try to stay athletic uh, to handle, you know, that concept. So I, I think he fits into that to provide some, you know, possible emphasis against the run if he can still cover. Um, he's a guy, though, but he's definitely somebody to watch. 
Neil, it's great to hear you back on with us. Definitely. Thanks for having me. We'll uh, we'll talk next week. I'm looking forward to it. Neil Kulong, USA Today. We'll wrap up today's show in a moment. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia. Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf on News Radio 1070, WKOK. Great to be with you on this Tuesday. By the way, Blake, great job on that public service announcement. Outstanding job. The uh, There are more issues than ever that uh, have to be dealt with. Now, let's take with the um, ACC Media Day, Larry Fedora, calling into question about CTE and college football. He immediately got called on the carpet left and right by everybody. That was actually the big news out of that one. There wasn't a lot of big news out of the SEC. pac is coming up, and there usually is no news out of the Pac-12. And the Big 12 had no news. The Big 10 made news because they talked about serious issues. And that's why they made news. They talked about serious issues. They talked about the gambling issue. They talked about injury reports. They talked about scheduling uh, nine games versus eight and uniformity. They talked about the issue with Comcast. They actually talked about a lot of issues. And a lot of substance. And, of course, for those of you who listen to this show, as you know, um, these are issues we've talked about, we talk about all the time. And I don't want to sit there and do what's your favorite Phillies uniform. I mean, I really don't want to do that. That, that to me, is like adorable, but it's irrelevant. If you're not going out there every day and trying to do something that's informative... Because to me, information is interesting. And when something comes up like uh, like the last couple of days with the Big Ten, with all these things we've talked about, there's not an unfamiliar issue that was brought up at the Big Ten Media Day that hasn't been discussed between you and me on this show. We've been doing this for months. It's important to stay ahead of the curve as to what is actually happening out there. And... The reason is it's it's important. It's important to do that. So the Comcast thing, if you listen to the show every day with B- BTN, no surprise. Um, gambling issue, no surprise. Uh, eight versus nine conference games, no surprise. We've talked about all these things over and over again. It's been, but it's been important to talk about it. Hey, Steve, before we wrap up the show, we got Billy on the line from Winfield. He wanted to share some thoughts about uh, the late Tony uh, Sperano, who passed away over the weekend. Yeah, how about that one? Hi, Billy. How are you? Hey, Steve. Great to talk to you. Um, big Dolphins fan, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of water under the bridge since Tony Sperano was in Miami, both for them and for him. Uh, but, Honestly, as someone who follows the Dolphins pretty closely, uh, really enjoyed his press conferences, really enjoyed his honesty, his uh, enthusiasm for his players. I mean, I know he got chided a little bit for clapping during field goals when uh, the the, uh, fans wanted touchdowns, and rightly so. But, uh, you know, just a great heart, loved by his players, and uh, 
I really enjoyed following him. Uh, one of my favorite Dolphins coaches, even though, you know, not every coach is cut out to be a head coach, that's for sure. Uh, he certainly was qualified to be a coach in the NFL. Head coaching didn't really work out, but uh, great coach, and uh, I'll miss him. You know, Billy, 56 years old, so young, and you're right. This guy is an assistant coach. If you're grading out assistant coaches at every stop he's been to, universally respected. And you're right. You know, circumstances, whatever, not, maybe not everybody's cut out to be a head coach, but he was certainly cut out to be a coach in the NFL, just maybe not the top job. As a position coach, he was outstanding. And, uh, you know, at only 56, that's the crusher of all this. 56 years old, so young. Yeah, it's a tough, tough loss for the NFL and for the fans. And he's one of the only Miami coaches that I actually followed after he left Miami to keep up with what's he doing and how's he being received. And I just, just really enjoyed following him. So I'll miss him. Yeah, well said, Billy. Well said. You're absolutely right about that. And you could tell with the Vikings, the Vikings loved him. So yeah. Hey, thanks a lot, Steve. You have a good evening. You have a good evening, too, Billy. Glad we could talk about that. Yeah, boy, that was tough. There was one player who was really affected by uh, the the passing of Coach Brenna. was uh, Sean O'Hara, the former New York yes. Giant on, a, on NFL Network. I had no idea that, uh, that uh, Tony was his coach, and he pretty much uh, found the talent that he thought uh, you know, Sean had in him and when a lot of people didn't think he had the talent to make it into the NFL. Well, again, some guys, I think Billy put it right. I mean, Billy, I think, was exactly right. Some guys are cut out to be great assistant coaches, but then when they have the CEO part, they're not quite. Well, he was an outstanding. Tony Sperano, everybody will tell you, every stop as an assistant coach was tremendous. Tremendous. And only 56. That's what makes it so tough when they're only, I mean, that young. Wow. Wow. Of course, we talked about rainy Portland yesterday. I know that there's um, going to be um, uh, the viewing. How our wake maybe is better. I don't know if there'll be a viewing, but it's going to be Sunday from three to seven in Broomall. And I'm going to go because one thing I've never forgotten is that when my father passed away. Marini was one of the individuals that came up to Connecticut and visited. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.